Labor and Industries has been around for 101 years. AWC has been around for 90 years. And I think we've had a rich history of collaboration over those 90 years. So first, happy, happy birthday. And second, I look forward to many, many more years of L&I and AWC partnering and working together. to the AWC City Voice podcast, where we explore the issues that impact Washington cities. I'm Sarah, digital media specialist here at AWC, and this month we had a guest for AWC's bi-monthly newsletter, HR Insights. Our government relations director, Candace Bach, had the chance to speak with Joel Sachs, director of the Washington Department of Labor and Industries, about his time as head of the agency through a pretty eventful decade. We asked him about his time at L&I, industrial insurance, his thoughts on the future, and other important issues facing city workforces. Let's get into it. Hello, I'm Candace Bach, Government Relations Director for the Association of Washington Cities. Welcome to this edition of the City Voice podcast focused on HR insights. Today, I'm really happy that we've got Labor and Industries Director Joel Sachs with us. Joel, welcome. Thank you, Candace. It's just a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Joel. We're really glad that you were able to take the time to join us. We obviously um, at AWC and our cities interact a lot with labor and industries. You really do a lot of different programs um, beyond just workers' comp, which we often think uh, directly about. There's workers' safety, and we'll get into some of that. But before we get started, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to labor and industries uh, 10 years ago now? Uh, 11 years. Yeah, absolutely. My, I, I've, I've been a public servant my whole career, and I actually started in municipal government. So my first job out of college was a fellowship with the city of New York, where I really got a chance to learn about city government and what that's all about. And I, I spent about two or three years working for, the, for New York City. From there, I went to graduate school and then um, joined the Department of Labor as part of OSHA. And I was with OSHA for, for a while. And it turned out that when I was at OSHA, the head of OSHA at the time was someone from Washington State. His name was Joe Deere, and Joe was a former LNI director, went to be the head of OSHA, then left OSHA to become uh, Gary Locke's chief of staff. And on a whim at his going away party, I said, uh, I asked him if I could come with him. And he said, come, come on out and visit. And so uh, born and raised on the East Coast, came out and visited him in, Was in Washington State and just fell in love with the state. So applied for a job at the governor's office, did not get it, but I met the LNI director who invited me to come join LNI at the time. So I was at LNI for a while, had a couple of different jobs there. When Governor Gregoire was elected, I moved over to employment security and worked in employment security throughout the Gregoire administration. And then when G uh, Jay Inslee was elected, I put my hat in the ring to become the LNI director. And he and I met, we hit it off, and he he offered me the position. So I started at LNI the same day as, as Governor Inslee started. And it's been a great more than 10 to, 10 to 11 years uh, with, with the agency. Well, that's great. We're glad to have you. Glad that you are enjoying Washington and, uh, um, and that, that we've got you here. So you've been uh, had a, a lengthy tenure now with labor and industries. Um, what are some of the broad trends you've seen over these last 10 or 11 years? 
That's a great question, Candice. Thank you. There's a, a couple, when I sort of sit back and think about what's different in the workforce, there's, there's a couple of things that really sort of jump out at me. The, the first is the changing nature of work itself. Think about it, go, go back uh, 10, 15, 20 years, and I think we saw much more of a, a space where people would take a job and that would be their career. And they would work for one employer, maybe maybe work for two employers. And what we're seeing more and more of is a very different kind of workforce. If you think about the emergence of the gig economy and the emergence of, of people moving more and more frequently from one job to, to, to another. Now, the interesting thing for me is as we think about this, about the role of government as it relates to the workforce, that really challenges a lot of the underlying premise of the way we've structured our laws over the years, because we've always structured ourselves around having an employer-employee relationship. Who's, who's your employer? Who do you work for? And what we're beginning to see, I think, is a, is, a, is a refreshed and different conversation that says, if you're working, what kind of protection should, be, should you be entitled to? And that, that's a fundamental shift for me in terms of how we think about the nature of work. Uh, the other big trend that I think we have all seen is COVID and how much COVID impacted the nature of work. Uh, I'm sitting right now, I'm sitting at my, at, at my home doing, the, do, doing this podcast. And I think all of us are where we can, we're finding that telework works and, we're, and there's more and more of our workforce that's spending more time working at home or working in a hybrid environment. And again, that opens up a whole bunch of other questions about the both the nature of work and the nature of some of our underlying rules, regulations. And just think, think, think if we think about things like the hours that you work, it's pretty clear when we were working in an office setting, you're working when you're at the office, you're not working when you're home. Well, when your computer is sitting right there and an email comes up at seven, eight o'clock at night and you're, answer, and you're responding to it, what does that mean? It's, in terms of your relationship to work. So it's it's been posing a whole bunch of interesting questions for both workers and employers across the state. Yeah, that, those are all great points. And, and certainly um, those, those changes with hybrid work and when does work start and stop um, impact public employers and city employers uh, in particular as well. And I'm in, in the office today, but I'm one of two people in my part of, of the office here at AWC today um, as it uh, worked out with hybrid schedules. So given kind of that changing work environment that we've seen, what are some of the major challenges that you've seen and, and worked to tackle during your time as labor and industries director? So I think one thing that we're experiencing is uh, thinking about the kind of hazards that workers face. And when I, when, I, when I talk about hazards, I'm thinking about things that could hurt workers in the workplace. This year, we're celebrating the, the 50th anniversary of DOSH. And we've been reflecting upon the things that we've done in the last 50 years to promote safe workplaces, and then beginning to think about, okay, what's next? What are the things we need to be paying attention to? So, so I'll give, give, give you the one example that we've been focusing on, particularly this year, has been thinking about climate change and how climate change creates hazards that may not have been as pronounced um, 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago as it is today. So we've, we've taken a look at things like our heat rule, which, which says under what conditions when it's hot out, do we need employers to be doing 
extra steps to ensure that workers are safe. We are also proposed a rule that addresses how employers should be protecting workers when they're exposed to wildfire smoke. And unfortunately, as a result of climate change, we're seeing more wildfires in the state of Washington. We're seeing more hotter days. And so these, those kind of rules become incredibly important to ensure that all of our workforce across the state, public and private, can go home to their families at the, at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, those are good points. We've been really tracking your rulemaking in those, those particular areas um, because, of course, cities have so many employees who do work out of doors. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think some of the other challenges that we face, and I've seen at LNI, are exactly the same kind of challenges that I think cities ac across the state are facing. We have challenges with hiring and, and retention. We have, we have challenges that we have antiquated and older computer systems. We have challenges that we have laws that passed many years ago, and sometimes they're, they don't necessarily reflect the reality of the workplace today. And, and, I, and so a lot of what we, we pay attention to, same as cities, is how do we focus on cultivating a culture that, respect, that recognizes the importance of public service, attracts people because of, our, because of our incredibly important mission, and then creates the environment as people work for us, that where people feel they can show up at work, make a real difference in people's lives and go home at the end of the day, knowing that because they went to work, somebody's a worker's life and employer's, an employer's business is better off tomorrow than it was yesterday. Yeah, we, you know, I completely agree. We share those those kind of goals um, around worker safety and um, making and, and those same kind of challenges with um, not being early adopters of maybe new technology and or struggling to fund those things. Um, you know, as we kind of move on here, the timing is uh, fortuitous for us to to be able to schedule this conversation with you because you're um, in that rate setting period for 2024 and you just announced um, the the new proposed 2024 workers' compensation rates. And um, you're in the process of those. I know you were reviewing them more yesterday with your workers' comp advisory committee. Can you um, uh, talk to us a little bit about those proposed rates for next year? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe the process. Absolutely, Candice. Uh, as, as I know, all of um, your listeners are aware, in Washington state, we are the exclusive provider of workers' compensation. Now, some cities are self-insured, but the vast majority of the cities, uh, we, are, we are your insurance company. And each year we have a responsibility to look to set rates and our goal in setting rates is how do we ensure that we're collecting enough money in a given year so that we can pay out benefits and recognize that as people, unfortunately, there will be workplace accidents in 2024. And some of those will be resolved in um, a week, two weeks. Some of them may, may take much, much longer to, to before a worker is, a, is able to fully heal. So we, we work with our actuaries to project, here's what we would envision to be the, to the costs that we would for claims in 2024. And that's happened for years and years. One of the things that we've tried to do in the last decade is to take that raw data from our actuaries and then move toward rate setting and anchor our rate setting in four basic principles. The first thing that we focus on is ensuring steady and predictable rates. Second is we have a benchmark of 
our rates, where we're looking at how much wages have gone up and compare that to the proposed rate increase. The third thing we pay attention to is ensuring that we have adequate reserves, enough in, in the bank to be able to pay today's and tomorrow's benefits. And then the last thing we pay attention to is really thinking about what we can be doing in partnership with employers, in partnership with, with vocational professionals to get better outcomes for workers. Because what we, what we all know is the better an outcome for a worker, and from our perspective, the, the purpose of our system is to help an injured worker heal and return to work. And the more effectively we do that, better outcomes for workers, and better outcomes for workers results in lower costs for the workers' comp system. So those those costs, um, are, you know, are obviously what we end up focusing on. It's all it is all about worker safety and making sure uh, workers recover. But of course, we focus on the cost. Um, the department you mentioned um, announced that it uh, bought down the average rate with reserves for um, the proposed rates for 2024. Can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on the sustainability of the program going forward, given you know, that buy-down and increasing rates and, and where the reserves are at? Absolutely. From the department's perspective, as we're setting rates each year, one of the commitments that we have made to cities and all employers across the state is that we have steady and predictable rates. And what that means from my perspective is you're not going to see rates go up too much in a given year or go down too much in, in a given year. And in order to do that, one of the things that we've been striving to do is have enough money in our bank account, in our, in our reserves, if you will, to be able to maintain those steady rates, particularly in, in challenging years. So think about these last few years. We have had um, incredibly significant challenges in our workforce as a result of COVID. We strategically have said for the last three years and, and that we were not going to charge as much to employers, charge as much to cities as our actuaries were asserting we would need because we realized that these were tough economic times and we, we wanted to ensure that we didn't see a huge increase in rates. How do we do that? Well, go back six, seven, eight years. One of the things that we recognized is we didn't know that there was going to be a pandemic, but we did know there was going to be challenging economic times. There was going to be a recession at some point. So we focused on growing the reserves that we have in those good years so that when we faced the challenge, whatever it was going to be, we would be in a space where we could draw down those reserves not collect as much as we need and still have adequate mo money in the bank, if you will. So, so in essence, what we've done over the last few years is not decrease rates as much as we theoretically could in good years, and therefore not increase rates as much as we need to in the more challenging years. And overall, that I think that that's worked incredibly well for the past decade. So from my perspective, I am not worried today about the adequacy of being able to pay rates because we prepared yesterday for the challenges that we're facing today. Well, I really appreciate that. I think our um, city is, as employers do too, the, the smoothing process that you go through. Um, while there's always concerns about rate increases, uh, you know, I think we can appreciate that predictability and sustain sustainability in, in that uh, approach to smoothing that you all take. Um, we always look with particular interest, however, to um, two of our classifications that tend to be the most costly 
and those are um, police and fire, um, law enforcement and firefighters. And this year was um, in some ways no different in that those classifications are have higher rates and higher increases. Um, however, this year was a little different because they were so much potentially higher that the department actually um, proposed capping them at 15% instead of the full 34 and 44% that, that they could have been. Um, you know, can you maybe talk a little bit about that and um, and maybe some of the things that we can do, cities can do in partnership with labor and industries to try and address some of those um, those challenges, particularly with those two, with our first responder um, employees and the claims that they have. Absolutely. And just to ground the conversation a little bit, workers' compensation is, in some ways is similar to um other forms of insurance where it's experience rated. And so what we what we do as we develop rates is we break up the workforce into different, what we call risk classes. And, and so we'll look at firefighters and we'll look, and then we'll look separately at folks who work in offices and we'll work separately at roofers. And in each case, what we look at is how much would we need to collect to pay the projected claims coming in the door for that particular group of workers, regardless of who their employer is. And it's what we know is some of our first responders, the people, the public servants who are, who are out there protecting us each and every day face risks that those of us, kind of like you and I, who are, who are in a more of a, uh, an office setting are not necessarily facing. So the, caught, the, the injuries that they face are, are more significant and therefore uh, their, their costs are greater. Um, so historically, firefighters and police have paid more in as a result of the cost being more than other other types of occupations. Yeah, we've definitely seen that. I mean, and you're right; those you know the kind of injuries they get, um, what they're exposed to, it, it's definitely different than a typical office worker. So it it's uh, make has made a lot of. I mean, there's been a lot of rationale for the reason for those rates and, and where they're at. Um, this year was a little different with just a, a bigger jump than normal. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the answer, and one of the questions that I think is really important for us all to be thinking about is what are the things that we can be doing to re reduce costs? But from my perspective, it's less about reducing costs and more about getting better outcomes for workers. And I would, I would categorize, I would, when I, when I speak with employers and we, and we sort of think about that, we start with sort of two big categories. Category one is what I, what I'll describe as prevention. What are the things that, that an employer can do, whether you're a private employer or a city to prevent injuries from occurring? And what we know is those employers, those cities that upfront are investing in focusing on safety, cultivating that culture where it's clear that ensuring that everyone goes home at the end of the day is of paramount importance, uh, prevents things from, prevents accidents, prevents injuries from, from occurring. So a lot of what we see and a lot of what we do is we have consultation teams that can go out, meet, meet with cities, meet with fire departments, meet with private sector employers, and really do an assessment of your, of your safety program. What are the things that are working? What are, what are some of the things that, that a particular city, a particular employer could do to promote safety to an even greater extent? And the great thing about these programs is they are, 
those programs, the costs for those programs are built into the premiums that everyone pays. So from, from a city's perspective, reaching out and getting a consultative service is, is, doesn't cost anything additional. It's, it's free to employers. It's free to cities. Yeah, and I think you're such a good point that um, it's really hard to control the cost after the claim happens, right? It's it's about mm -hmm. prevention and safety. And the, what, there is a, another category of things that we can be focusing on collectively, which is unfortunately when an injury does occur, how can how can everyone be working collaboratively to get that best possible outcome for a worker, which is helping that worker heal and return to work. What, how can a department in partnership with an employer, in this case, in partnership with cities, in partnership with medical providers, really focus on helping the, helping a worker focus on what, what do they need so that they can heal? What do they need so they can feel safe with returning to work? Just a, a couple, of, a couple of, of examples. We actually have a program at Labor and Industries that we call the State Work Program. And what that does is it provides for a reimbursement to an employer if they keep an injured worker on in, a, in what we will call a light duty job. So a firefighter, a police officer may not be able to do the job that they typically do as a result of an injury, but is there some other job that they can be doing in the city? And then assuming the employer continues to pay the worker, what we'll do then is write a check to the employer. And from our perspective, that just makes a ton, that makes makes a ton of sense. We would much rather be in a place where workers continue to receive their salary from their employer, and then on the back end, we help we help offset those costs by by paying the the employer. Uh, there are a whole variety of of programs like that that we that we have that really focus on helping an employer think about what kind of what kind of jobs can we create that will help a worker as they heal. One of the things that we that we continue to do is work with the medical community, work with vocational professionals that, that that we we contract with to have conversations with employers about how can you create a safe job for a worker to return to when the doc when the doctor and and particularly the worker says yeah I this is something I want to do this is something that that I want to return to while I'm healing. I think those your, your points and your focus on um, worker safety is really critical and kind of takes us into the conversation about um, PTSD claims and our first responders. And again, from the city perspective, there's that real commitment to um, mental health well-being, mental well-being of our first responders and, um, and a real recognition of that challenge. And that uh, change that you know that came even before the law changed in 2018 but those PTSD claims now that we're seeing come in are really um, I think part of what that cost driver is for some of those rates we were just talking about so where's the question in that <laughs> um, you know as um, as you and your workers comp team are looking at those claims you know what are you starting to see how are you starting to look at this sort of new class of claims and um, how can we work better together and and I know Ellen is hoping to take a deeper dive into some of the data around those claims so maybe you can tell us a little bit about that yeah thanks Kenneth this is this is an area that I am really committed to working with AWC working working with uh, unions, working with working with the mental health professionals to think about how can we 
ensure that our systems are getting better outcomes for, for workers. Particularly when you think about our first responders and the job that we ask them to do, incredibly challenging. And we should be in a place where collectively we're saying, we've, we've got your back, we're gonna, we're gonna support you. One of the things that we're discovering over these last few years was when you look at the outcomes of some of these claims, I don't think that we have figured out exactly how to surround workers with the kind of support they need to help them heal and return to work. So again, an element of what we need to be looking at is on the prevention side, what can we be doing up front? I think it's exactly the kind of things that AWC has already been thinking about to be able to put some of the, put some programs in place just to provide support from day one to our law enforcement officers, to, to our firefighters. What we want to then be looking at is how can we ensure that when a claim comes to us, that we have streamlined and effective processes to assess uh, if in fact it's, some, it's, it's a claim that we can accept and then how can we ensure that we understand the best practices that are out there in the medical community to be able to be treating firefighters, to be able to be treating law enforcement officers so they're getting the support that they need and we can be talking about what would it, what would return to work look like in a way that, uh, that, that these folks who have put their lives on the line for us feel safe. Uh, one of the things that, we're, that we are gonna be asking the legislature to consider is to fund a, a study for us so that we can take a look at what others are doing. We don't have to invent everything here in Washington state. And if, if Massachusetts or New York have identified some solutions that are, work, that, that are working, we wanna bring them in to Washington so that we can, we can provide better support for our first responders. And I think there's a lot for us to learn together. There's a lot for us to learn with mental health professionals to ensure that the system is actually functioning the way I believe it's supposed to, which is getting, again, getting our first responders the support that they need and then helping them to be able to heal. Thanks for that, Joy. Again, I think you're right. We Our goal is to get folks back to work, get, keep them healthy, um, help them recover and, and come back to work in the careers that they are committed to. As we're wrapping up here with our, our, our remaining time, um, I want to just give you the opportunity to share any other um, proposals that um, your department's working on that uh, cities should know about. Well, thanks, Candice. And again, we are con continually looking at what are the things that we can be doing to support employers, to be able to, to support workers. Um, a lot of our attention in the last six to nine months have been implementing a whole series of uh, bills that passed in the 2023 legislative session, probably very similar to what your what your listeners are, are focusing on across the state. A, a couple a couple of examples of things that that we're focusing on. We we are in the midst of finalizing rulemaking for uh, when workers are exposed to wildfire smoke. We just adopted a rule that updated the requirements for workers. And which we would include municipal workers when they work outside in, in high heat. We're beginning to take a look at rulemaking around uh, workers who are exposed to ergonomic injuries. And those uh, are one of the leading, his leading causes of injury in the state of Washington. And what we're, we're gonna be having a, a very focused effort to looking at industry by industry about ways that we can be preventing those kind of injuries. And, across the board, we continue to ask the questions, what, what's working in, in, the, in the rules that we have 
what's working the way we interact with employers and workers and what what kind of, what kind of adjustments that we can we can make so i suspect coming out of the 2024 legislative session there'll probably be another half a dozen or so rule, uh laws that pass that we're, we'll be focusing on implementing some of which are, will likely have some impacts on cities across the state uh joel i appreciate that and we'll kind of we'll look forward to working with you and your team as the legislature explores those those changes and and communicate about them with our members our cities and, and provide feedback um really appreciate you joining us today. Um, we're really pleased to have Joel Sachs with us, Director of Labor and Industries. Thanks for your time today. Um, we appreciate everybody tuning in and we look forward to learning more and, and continuing the strong working relationship we have with Labor and Industries. And that's it for today's podcast. Be sure to check out the transcript of this episode for associated links. The City Voice podcast is a production of AWC, where our mission is to serve our members through advocacy, education, and services. As always, thanks for listening.